0: Chapter 15. Friendship and Relocation Those closest to Jenny and me during our conversation had been listening, hoping to glean any tidbit of information or advantage. I didn't understand why most of the crowd had gathered. Tully had mentioned ranked, hangers-on, and those that would set themselves against Lord Kel were gathering. But these people appeared more common, clothing in most would lead one to believe they were working class, not ranked, hoping to climb my coattails. I felt a bit like the Pied Piper, must have as Jenny began leading me away. The gathering of disparate beings, separated like a wave, crashing against the cliff, only to reform behind our passage and begin following us, asking Carid to identify the who or what I was seeing. I soon was able to recognize Kelpies, Sprites, fairies, and cat-sith. Watching a cat-sith transform from a black cat into a person was entertaining and enlightening. As we made our way to the gates, I briefly worried about Cedric finding us. I assumed he would be resourceful enough to figure out what was going on when he returned and would be able to discover where we had gone, no matter how long it took him. Which made me wonder. Carrot? I asked. How do you tell time here? We use the system, he answered, surprised that so obvious an answer hadn't occurred to me. Simply think system, time, and you will get a notification. Well, that made it easy. I wondered what other aspects of daily life the system performed that everyone took for granted. I laughed at myself, thinking I might be the oldest Sealy to ever learn how to tell time. What about children and those that haven't ascended? I thought they didn't have system access until after the Ascension process. Everyone has access to the system from the moment of birth. Ascension allows an individual to incorporate full system functionality. Stats, time, skills, any basic information is available. Quests, levels, and oaths become available after Ascension. Scholars have concluded, these functions are delayed in order to protect children. All species have exploited the young at some point. System exploits can be especially onerous. Imagine tricking a young child into swearing a binding oath before they understand what they are pledging. And if you can't read yet, sound. That seemed logical. The system would have to have a way to interact with those individuals that were illiterate, deaf, or blind. I froze in disbelief. Once our progression reached the gates, that led off the palace grounds. Paved roads. Not only paved, but pristinely maintained. Vehicles traveling along those roads, powered by unseen forces. Vehicles that hovered inches off the road. No wheels, just sleek cars, for lack of a better word, that smoothly wove amongst each other. People going about their daily lives, not caring about the drama they were passing. The scene was a bit of a reality check, Carrot? I questioned in surprise. This world has automobiles? Just what is the tech level on this planet? Are there planes? Cell phones? Computers? The internet? We are an interstellar community. We have created a network of portals that allows us to visit a diverse selection of planets across the galaxy. Of course, we have vehicles for travel and devices to communicate. Skimmers, not cars. Crystals not cell phones. Planes. We have never bothered to create that form of transportation. There is no need. Why use a plane to travel when you can use a portal array to instantly move from city to city and planet to planet? I guess I thought since you use magic instead of technology, you wouldn't have combustion engines or explosives. We don't. Why would we use combustion engines? That type of technology rapes the planet of resources and pollutes and destroys what's left. I have scanned your memories. S Prime has allowed me to use the time when you sleep to delve into who you used to be and your experiences. I don't really see much that existed on your previous world that doesn't exist here or didn't at one time. I don't think our people are as obsessed with internet porn as you seem to be. But technologically, we have found ways to harness magic and combine it to produce the same results. Additionally, because magic makes it much easier to not destroy the environment, something your previous planet seemed to care about, we don't have widespread deforestation, smog, and cancer-causing carcinogens spewing into the air and water. We are sea, descendants of natural gods. So we are aligned deeply with nature. So we have created technologies that are sustainable, renewable, and eco-friendly. We consider it almost our sacred duty to protect the land and the bounty that nature provides. A planet full of druids? Maybe hippies? I concluded wondrously. But I've seen no evidence of this kind of technology until now, I complained bitterly. You mean things like running water and flushing toilets? Carrot asked humorously. But where are the electronics? The televisions, cell phones, and why are the guards using swords and bows? Why don't I have skills for guns or lasers? There has been a magic particle holographic display in every one of the bedrooms you've entered. M-hollow. That means something projected and created by magic. There is no big, boxy contrivance that adorns the walls. Crystals inscribed with arrays that project and broadcast entertainment programs. As for communication, I already mentioned crystal technology. Look at your stats. What did you think that mind-magic affinity was for? It allows you to connect and access mental arrays that allow for worldwide and interplanetary communication. Mental, meaning instant, the speed of thought. No time lags because of distance, he emphasized. I see the problem, he said after pausing for a moment to collect himself and calm down. You equate swords with sorcery, with barbarism and have made assumptions based on your experience with magic in novels you've read and games you've played. In most of those worlds, you've imagined magic civilizations stopped progressing technologically during a medieval or renaissance era. That simply isn't the case here. Think about it logically. The math and technologies required to find other planets and then connect to them via portals must be much more advanced than simple Newtonian physics. We, too, have had our great thinkers, our Einsteins, Heisenbergs or Hawkins, he said, almost bragging at this point. But why didn't you mention this when I was asking Cedric to find lodgings? If this level of technology exists, there must be a way to browse listings of available properties for rent or for sale. And what's with the medieval architecture for the keep? He probably did browse available properties to generate a list, Using that list, he then went to personally inspect them so that he could make an informed decision based on what existed and not what was advertised. And he probably used a skimmer for transportation as he traveled between properties. As for the architecture, need I remind you that even on your previous planet, even with your technological marvels, ancient architecture was preserved. Your planet's royals lived in palaces that were centuries old. You worked tirelessly to preserve ancient structures that have stood for thousands of years. Your ancient pyramids, Stonehenge. It's most interesting that your civilization managed to maintain and preserve these structures despite your race's complete disregard for the planet and nature. You come from a civilization that is most strange. At times you protect, zealously, what you create, and yet you disregard and dispose of inventions and items almost carelessly, always racing to own the next generation of better, faster, smaller or more advanced items. You come from a disposable society that has no respect for anything or anyone but yourselves. Even other races are often treated as less, bigotry, racism, ageism, Homophobia. Earth was rife with evils and injustice. I think it is almost a requirement. When a species can develop a civilization, they must find ways to differentiate between them and us. Climate change. Melting polar ice caps. Animal extinction. Nuclear proliferation. World wars that killed millions. Ignoring disease and starvation. The poor being ignored or forgotten. And the rich, greedy for more. So much, they would never be able to spend their wealth in a dozen lifetimes. It's a wonder you didn't destroy yourselves. Maybe I deserved that. Humanity certainly had its problems. He wasn't wrong to sneer and suggest that our society had become the me generation. Always seeking the next faster or shinier toy. But humanity wasn't all bad. Sure, we had a capacity for great evil. But we also had a capacity for great selflessness. It was often in our darkest moments that our ability to empathize, our compassion for others, that made us great. Countries rebuilt after the destruction of natural disasters, victims and survivors embraced by communities, protests and demonstrations to rail against unfairness and injustice. It was often when we had fallen to our worst that humanity was able to look past differences and find common cause to fill our hearts and shoulder our burdens. This bit of self-reflection helped me realize that retaining my memories may not be all good. My preconceptions, biases, and expectations had followed me to this universe, and they were based on my identity as a human. I needed to stop identifying as a human. I wasn't human anymore. And to base my assumptions and plans on humanitarian history? Well... You know the saying about what happens when you assume, and it wasn't safe. C. No matter the species, were motivated on their own biases and expectations. I had been equating feudalism with naivety. Lords, dukes, kings. These were outdated systems of governance that Earth had renounced as acquitted. A government for the people, by the people. This was a better way to do things, wasn't it? Monarchies still existed on earth, but they had, for the most part, reformed into constitutional monarchies. And the kings and queens were simply figureheads. England, Japan, Monaco, laws and government were performed by elected officials that held the real power. And in those countries where kings still held power, they were considered third world, provincial, backwater territories. They suppressed their people, ignored civil liberties, and allowed the terrorists to proliferate. But it was just possible that I was the one being naive. Democracy had its own problems. The truth was, there was no perfect form of government. Maybe instead of working and yearning for a utopia that would never exist, people would be better off living their lives honorably, leading by example, becoming a good leader, A person who cared about his country and countrymen would make a difference no matter the label or type of governance practiced. Jenny had waited with me patiently. And by default, the crowd of people following me at the edge of the road. She seemed to be waiting for something. And when she signaled a passing skimmer, I realized what she was waiting for. A vehicle deftly pulled over and an opening appeared almost as soon as the vehicle stopped an entrance with no obvious sign of a door. I wasn't sure how it worked. It didn't retract or open inwards or outwards. An entrance just appeared, as if there was never anything blocking the opening. Maybe there was a magic holographic projection that was enabled while moving to make it appear whole? I entered the vehicle cautiously, not certain how my balance would adjust to a hovering car. Would this be like a boat floating on water? and require me to adjust my balance or not? It wasn't. It was exactly like entering a car. Comfortable seats, spacious legroom, and a partition separating the driver from the back. Jenny had flagged down a taxi. I couldn't help myself, I started laughing. My amusement may have seemed strange to those that had followed, and certainly, Jenny's face displayed her confusion. But I couldn't help but appreciate the surreal circumstances. New universe new class and rank, new magic. But some things never changed, and taxis and taxi's drivers seemed to translate across the multiverse. Where to, sir? The driver asked, interrupting my laughter. Jenny, where were you thinking? My family owns one of the best hotels in the area. I thought it would be perfect for you to use. There are larger conference rooms that can be set aside and used as waiting rooms as well as some smaller, more intimate rooms that can be used for interviews. The food is exceptional, and the dining room has some of the best staff in the city. Sounds perfect, I said, agreeing to her suggestion. Kithanes, Jenny instructed the driver. She leaned out to quickly inform the crowd of our destination, before allowing the opening in the skimmer to close. I ignored the driver as he maneuvered adeptly into traffic more interesting in touching the now-closed opening. It was solid, and I was only more confused and still uncertain how it worked. I eventually ignored the mystery of the door and began noticing my surroundings. I felt like a tourist, gawking at buildings, expressing appreciation for landmarks and parks we passed. The city's architecture wasn't like anything I was familiar with. It certainly wasn't the rustic backwoods I'd been expecting. The designs were sleek. Enhancing the natural and adapting buildings to the landscape, establishing patterns reminiscent of nature. Honeycomb patterns of efficiency and conformity were prevalent in the larger buildings. Instead of clearing trees and land, smaller buildings were included in the branches. An interconnecting canopy of branches and vines served to create a bevy of footpaths that allowed pedestrians to easily traverse between levels and trees. Greens and browns were the predominant colors, as architects created buildings and homes that blended. Even the roads resembled the vine-like structure of leaves. Occasionally, there would be splashes of color, yellows, blues, reds, and purples, that highlighted areas and drew the eyes to significant buildings. Only the keep betrayed this conformity. It was stylized much like those big boxy edifices that might be found on Earth. But it took pride of place, the very centre of the sprawling city. All roads began and ended at Lord Kell's estates. Carrot, how many people make their residency and are considered citizens of Kell's domains? I asked. Lord Kell is the ruler of one of the smaller cities. It is considered a Seely outpost. Yet most of the residents here are not Seely. The other sea you find are probably craftsmen or work-in-service or support roles. The population is always in flux, but averages perhaps 300,000 Seely and a million other sea? How many people in the Seely kingdom? Somewhere between 100 and 200 billion for all races? The Unseelie have perhaps twice that amount. Both factions have groups that are more numerous. The Slaw and Goblin for the Unseelie, and sprites and pixies for the sealy They breed like rats. Each live birth done in litters. Damn, just how big was this planet? I wondered. I really needed to get a moment to myself to have an in-depth conversation with Carrad about this place. At least I needed to find out what served as computers and the internet here so I could do some serious research. I was getting ambushed by information that was common knowledge. And if it wasn't for Carrad... I would be in real trouble. It really was becoming impossible to make plans, or at least plans that wouldn't need to be constantly updated until I understood the dynamics and realities of this world. As a skimmer pulled up to the entrance of Kaethan's, I was once again confronted with the difference between my expectations and reality. I'd assumed by a hotel, Jenny meant a quaint lodging, maybe a tavern that served food on the main floor with a set of rooms on the second for guests to lodge in and a conference room. Caithan's was a 20-story hotel, fresh with security checks, armed guards, and imposing gates. Valets and butlers greeted those arriving and saw to guests' needs and privacy. Cathan's was a jewel of understated wealth and refinement. Elegant, cherished, and luxuriously decorated.
1: This is the family's main business in Kel Fife,
0: Jenny explained.
1: Even though guests are charged, we adhere to the rules for guest rights. We consider this hearth and home, and those who visit are treated like family. Staff, guards, and formationaries are in place to protect those that honour us with their patronage. We take our
0: duty seriously, she promised. Welcome to Cathan's, a uniformed butler greeted me as he moved to open the towering set of double doors. The foyer led to a standard reception desk with an attendant, familiar and suitable settings you'd find in any high-class luxury hotel. A young woman's smiling face beamed at me, waiting patiently for me to approach and register. A sense of pride and accomplishment emanated from her and all of the visible employees. Katie? Jenny said, as we approached the service desk.
1: Prince de Belarus will be staying with us for an uncertain amount of time. He needs a suite for personal use, a large conference room,
0: and a meeting room. Reserve conference room A and the adjoining small reception room for him to use while he's staying with us. Yes, ma'am, Katie agreed, her hands moving elegantly, making gestures in the air that allowed her to access instruments and screens that only she could see. With a final movement, a panel slid open on the desk, and a small box was presented.
1: If you would place your finger in the identity scanner, we'll finish your registration,
0: she directed. Focusing my perception on the scanner, not sure what was about to happen, I placed my finger in the opening. I felt a small tingling sensation, as a magic signature seemed to scan and take a sample of my own magical, and life energy's aura. I had been correct in thinking that energy signatures were unique. It was why I had kept the destroyed charms in a race after my battle in the Summerlands. I was hoping I could identify and track that signature, or I could hire a person whose abilities were more suited to tracking. The machine finished its scan by absorbing an infinitesimal amount of my magic, funneling that energy into a crystal that was ejected from the top. And made available for me to collect.
1: Your room key, sir, Katie said. We have placed you in suite 17. Would you like us to set you up with a credit account, or will it be gold?
0: Gold. I'm not sure how long I'll be staying. Let's do rental by week.
1: That will be 55 gold then,
0: she informed me. Removing the money from my ring, I did a bit of mental math. If 100 gold, were a month's wage for three people then 55 gold for a week certainly explained how this hotel could be so luxurious i may have been able to find cheaper but the amenities came with the conference room and from what i noticed a well-equipped and alert staff that included very formidable looking guards plus this place felt welcoming and safe i have a vassal cedric de bellaros that will be arriving at some point He will be staying with me. Please allow him to have access to my suite, I informed the receptionist. Before turning to follow the valet, she'd motion forward to accompany me to my rooms. By the way, I said, stopping and turning back, while I conduct interviews in the conference room, would you please see that refreshments are available? Nothing too elaborate. Some beverages, a few finger foods would be enough. And perhaps assign some staff to help control and funnel any crowds that may appear? There seemed to be quite a few individuals who wished to see me at Lord Kel's Ambassador's Palace, and Jenny informed them they could find me here. I'm not sure when they'll start showing up, but possibly you might inform security and management that large groups of people may show up at some point.
1: Of course, sir. I'll inform management. We will provide and assign you a butler and secretary during your stay. We have a secretarial service that we contract with, but the butler will be someone from staff that has been trained to deal with issues of high-ranking individuals. When you are ready to meet with them, please notify the front desk and they will find you in your rooms."
0: Jenny, I said after thanking the receptionist, let's have dinner together and catch up. Since I intend to cook for you while you stay in our hotel, that won't be a problem, she and agreed before we said our farewells, and I made my way to the suite I'd been assigned. The suite I was shown was on an upper floor, not the penthouse, but clearly one of the rooms that would be considered pride of place. The furnishings and arrangement were eerily like something I would find on earth. A lounge, office, kitchen, dining room, and two bedrooms, both with en-suites. My examination of the rooms was perfunctory at best. I had some research to do and wanted to get my hands on this world's version of a computer and the internet. Carrot? I said, my relief evident, as the staff left me alone. How do I access the computer? The information crystal and network array are embedded in the desk. Simply infuse some of your magic into the crystal and you will be able to establish a connection with the Sealy domain. Most people must use tertiary enchantments and items to access the domain but your mental affinity is high enough that you can simply make a connection with your inherent abilities. Connecting to an information crystal and network array was nothing like casting a spell. I didn't need to gather will, focus, or intent. It was more like a handshake. I extended my magic into the crystal and it latched on forming a mental connection that allowed me to project holograms and mentally surf for information. And just that easily my knowledge base expanded. A bit of magic injected into a crystal, handshake protocols established between the network and my mental affinity, and within seconds I was creating a new user account. Sharing my system status screen information and allowing my magical energy signature to be registered, I was able to create communication accounts that were theft proof and establish a security level for my account that was based on my rank. I opened an account with a banking firm, established a line of credit of 10 million gold based on my rank, and created an independent corporation account that would be tied to any lands I claimed. An account that had the ability to accept taxes I may establish in the future and pay any expense my country may incur. And all this done with holographic projections, video conferencing with individuals, and navigating screens and search tools mentally. No keyboards, no typing, just mental and voice commands. I also purchased an index and search algorithm that was tailor made for my purposes, and that was compact enough to be stored in a smart crystal, this world's version of a cell phone, an app. I was able to find Cedric's network account easily, since he'd already updated his social media account to display his updated affiliation as my vassal, something else the smart crystal allowed. So after a quick message to him telling him, I'd sorted lodgings for the moment, and to instead focus on the blacksmith investigation, I'd redirected his priorities. I informed him of who Jenny was, where we would be staying, and let him know I'd arranged for him to have access to our rooms with the front desk, as well as informing him that the suite included room for his lodgings. Once all of that was done, I got to work. First, I began by establishing security and safety measures as tight as possible. I was able to incorporate a few tricks I'd learned on Earth. Software programming was universal. The language and protocols might change, but the adaptability and functionality seemed constant. Masking my presence and obfuscating my location from others was a simple matter. Easily done before I started my research. I decided the best thing to do was start with the big stuff. The planet appeared to be in the Pangaea phase of development. One supercontinent, separated into three enormous expanses of territory, the Sealy and Unsealy, had annexed almost four-fifths of the available land. The remaining land was simply labeled the Neutral Divide. This divide separated the territories that the two factions had claimed. The landmass and oceans were at least five times the size of Earth, which would explain why there was such a pronounced increase in strength and health for people living on this planet. The increased gravity for such a large superplanet required species that could adapt to evolve with increased muscle mass and bone density. As I examined the neutral divide further, I wondered why the land had remained unclaimed. It appeared to be ideal. Plains, forests, mountains, lakes, rivers. Perhaps it was simply the location centrally located with obvious geographical delineations. Perhaps it was simply easier to use this area to separate the two factions. Plus, there was enough landmass to allow for sneak attacks to be problematic. Any military maneuvering would be easily noticed and allow those monitoring to warn either side if troop movements occurred. The capital was strategically located at the apex and junction of the three territories. It was here that a geological oddity had occurred. It was almost as if the territories were funneled to this one point, an intersection of confluence and geography. No mountains, rivers, or chasms to separate them. It was at this point that the capital for both factions had been established, a seely unseely metropolis that contained over 1 billion individuals. Broad information about both factions existed, Population numbers, species density and type, government distribution. Looking at the information, I realized exactly how small and insignificant Lord Kell and his fife were. There were thousands of lords assigned to towns and small cities, dukes assigned to large metropolis and megacities, while archdukes functioned like governors and ruled broad swaths of land that contained dozens of dukes and hundreds of lords. Art Dukes were not an established rank, recognized by the system. They were simply Dukes that had reached level 10 and had been appointed to rule over a significant expanse of lands and area. Portals connected cities and lands, and were established and built in cities governed by those who had attained the rank of Duke. I would have to travel to Duke Adoine's territory and city if I wanted to travel fast to the capital, a small journey of several hundred miles. That may have been a daunting task before I discovered skimmer transportation, but now it was a matter of minutes or hours, depending on a skimmer's top speed. Both territories were ruled by monarchies, with a parliament of equals that contained kings and queens of sea factions and races that the seely and unseely considered lesser. It was these parliaments that housed goblin kings and queens, the demi-fae, slaw, redcaps, boggans, sprites, and fairies. Every species that existed had their own court and monarchy, and this collection of equals was powerful. Powerful, but subservient to seely and Unseelie demands and prerogatives. The seely and unseely may look down on these races and species individually, but collectively, their power was immense, and if moved to action, could do real harm to those that considered themselves over kings and queens. The goblins and redcaps were considered the foot soldiers of the sea for a reason. They were merciless when angered, quick to take offense and easily riled. They were considered stupid as a species, easily manipulated. But in matters of war, they were fearless and without equal, their numbers allowing them to overcome any deficiencies that lack of intellect may engender. A goblin or redcap horde was so destructive that both seely and unseely monarchies worked to bind and control that destruction by oath and treaty. Technically, goblin and redcap should be considered part of the unseely faction. They were creatures of darkness, not evil. The night was no more evil than the morning light. Light and dark, both sides were capable of great good and great evil. But because they were so feared, both sides made treaty. The last great war had almost ended with a goblin and redcap victory, and if that had been the case, the sea would have proclaimed them overlords, the sealy and unsealy relegated to history and irrelevance. They weren't the only species to be awarded or had earned positions of importance, and the system allowed decisions and positions both in government and business to be more merit-based rewards based on competency. It was simply a matter of sharing status screens to determine if a person had the skills, stats, and ranks to assume a position or job successfully. Corruption and nepotism still existed, but it was more likely that any position filled, no matter how well-connected an individual was, would only go to a crony or family member who at least met the minimum requirements needed to be successful. I expanded my search to universal concerns. Later, I would need to search further on how experience gains occurred for leveling, technologies that existed, and exactly how this world deviated from the MMORPGs I was familiar with. I made a mental note to find out if dungeons existed, and if individuals could form groups to share experience and quests. Other than the sea, Olympians and Asgardian collectives, There were tens of thousands of other governments on other worlds spanning the entire galaxy. The portal network had so far not expanded beyond the current universe, but theoretical magicians had researched the possibility. The sea were one of the smaller factions that existed because they had access to the Summerlands. They, as a people, had forfeited any expansion opportunities to other planets. The Olympians and Asgardians, on the other hand, seemed to have claimed a planet for every god and demigod ever worshipped in their pantheons. Gods like Zeus and Odin influenced and even claimed dozens of planets as their own. I was happy to see that planets existed for other pantheons, Hindu, Aztec, Native American. It appeared there was no rhyme or reason as to how or where a planet was established, but all pantheons I could remember existing on Earth had managed to eke out a place for themselves and a world to govern. The sea, while they did have access to interplanetary portals, were isolated. Trading partners were few. Tariffs and import duties were doubled for goods and services that did enter the world. And technological imports were often second-generation iterations, or knockoffs. Part of the problem was that the Sealy and Unsealy couldn't decide on planetary representative to protect the sea Rights under interstellar law. Without a voice, someone elected or appointed as a member of the Pantheon Grand Council, the sea had no way to block or veto Olympian and Asgardian machinations. The other planet governments often agreed to concessions that kept our communities and citizens as third world castoffs. Somehow, those two pantheons had managed to modify the Grand Council so that votes were weighted based on planets claimed and populations. It was interesting that the Earth's religions that had any Judeo-Christian connection were not represented at all. None of the Catholic saints, the Jewish or Islamic prophets were represented. The constant competition and refusal to compromise between Sealy and Unsealy had resulted in disastrous policy decisions. They had even gone so far as to refuse to establish relationships with an intergalactic bank that could accept gold and convert them to universal script. A refusal to establish this basic service because the unseelie used a different form of monies and denominations and refused to allow the gold standard to be established as the planetary currency. All trade relied on goods and services to assuage cost. A system of barter was established that was unwieldy and inefficient, we shipped out an amazing amount of precious metals and crystals to purchase the second-hand goods and services the council allowed us to import. And when we did pioneer new technology, our efforts were quickly stolen and absorbed by others, with no access to file universal patents or copyrights and little access to cords. Our government, both Sealy and Unsealy, had systematically relegated our society and citizens to third-world status and obscurity. Smuggling of goods and technologies occurred. In fact, the Seelie and Unsealy monarchies managed to possess the very best of universal technologies. But for the average person, those ranked peons or commoner, there existed a disparity that helped to widen the gulf that existed between the lowest ranks and the highest. The system was rigged against them, and they would never have the resources or knowledge to increase levels and make any sort of significant achievement. The only reason our planet hadn't been invaded and our citizens scripted and subjugated was entirely due to the treaty that our pantheon of gods had agreed to, the treaty that sent them into god's sleep. No one wanted to wake those beings, afraid the end of days would be heralded if that happened. Realizing the stupidity, an obvious dereliction of duties and obligations both sides had allowed to transpire, my future path became much clearer. My rank came with certain perks, one of which was the ability to claim my own lands and establish my own government. And the Sealy and Unsealy had left me the perfect land to claim. The neutral land seemed like a beacon of opportunity to me, a place to establish a kingdom and my own seat of power. A place that would allow me to invite the interstellar community to come, create efficient banking, and use my position as the third monarch to broker a deal between the Sealy and Unsealy, threatening to support one side or the other if they were unable or unwilling to compromise. A place to establish treaties, protect sea interests, and possibly give a great big middle finger to Zeus and Odin in the process. It should be a breeze to buck the system and impose my will on a planet that had resisted compromise since the founding. After all, I had carrot to help me. Two against the world. It was a start.